0: The CNBC app: global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts, and market insights—all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome to this edition of Squawk Box. Historic times. Let's give you the headlines. Yes, the S&P has rallied to a record high, wiping out all of its coronavirus losses with a 54% jump from the March lows, marking the end of the shortest bear market in U.S. history. The U.S. Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin blames, yes, the Democrats for delaying a fresh stimulus deal, telling CNBC the gridlock is hurting middle America the most.
1: There's a lot of need for small businesses. Half of the employment in the U.S is in small businesses and we need to support them.
0: Joe Biden formally securing the Democratic nomination and vowing to end the chaos of the current situation. Uh, And Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer says President Trump has already quit on America. We need a president with dignity, integrity, and the experience to lead us out of this crisis. A man with a steady hand and a big heart who will never ever quit on America. That man. Is my friend, Joe Biden. Uh, plus the Hang Seng, set to open well, in about half an hour, actually, for trade after a typhoon warning triggers the cancellation of the morning session. But the storm is downgraded amid minimal damage to the city. I get bored with charts sometimes. You get bored with charts sometimes. Even Jeff Cutmore, who loves the chart, gets bored with charts, uh, charts sometimes. But this chart, have a look at it. Spend a bit of time. Put your coffee down. Put your Cheerios down. Other cereals are available. Uh, in fact, you might have having supper if you're in different parts of the world watching us. Good evening to you, by the way, if you are. Uh, but look at this chart. This is an amazing chart. Trust me. Even I think this one is staggering. So here we were. February 19. COVID-19 had hit the world, but it hit China, of course, especially. Uh, and the market was blithely ignoring that, getting to record after record. And uh, uh, again, an all-time high there. Then we had uh, the ramification settling of what a devastating disease, uh, virus COVID-19 is, what it can do for the global economy. And the market got very scared. You remember it. I remember it. We all had our concerns, didn't we? Let's be honest. We still got our concerns. But the market hit peak concerns, the financial concerns, on the 23rd of March 2020. That is the low for the market so far this year, I should say, really, shouldn't I? And then look at this. I mean, it is staggering. I mean, it looks like a long drawn out chart, doesn't it? But we're talking about the smallest amount of time from there to there, to fresh record highs, pretty much ever. We're talking about 100 trading sessions. It is quite extraordinary how quick. I'll come over here, shall I? There you go. Make the the direct, do a bit of work on my way back. As I moonwalk backwards, August the 19th, 18th, uh, yesterday. Extraordinary rally. 54, 55% move. uh, 148 days or 126, depending on which measure you're looking at. But the point is, it's the shortest trading day um, period ever uh, from that trough to peak from that level of deep, deep concern uh, out uh, of the bear market as well. But, and this is the point that Jeff and I and Karen and Juliana and others have been trying to make very, very aggressively to you. It is an incredibly uneven rally. That is why, of course, it's taken so long for the S&P to get back there, whereas the Nasdaq's been there for quite a long while. We've had 38 record closes on the Nasdaq this year. We've had 34 record closes, 38 intraday highs. Uh, new highs for the market during that period. But we've only just got back there uh, for the S&P. And it's quite simply down to technology, isn't it? It's down to the fact that there are certain stocks, and we'll come to one of those sectors in a few moments' time, that have driven this market. Other sectors, and we'll come to those, are nowhere near their record levels, are nowhere near coming out of bear market territory. So this is the sector, of course, which you all know by now has led us higher and a very slim concentration of names within that has driven us higher. But consumer discretion, consumer discretionary, surely we haven't been discretionary about our consumer spending. We buy staples, yeah? No. The point here is, and you know this again, so I'm just going to reiterate to you, Amazon is the greatest constituent of the consumer discretionary sector as well. And they have had an extraordinary run uh, since the low of the market. And that is why this is the sector which is outperformed by a country mile uh, when you look at the sub-sectors as well. But there are sectors to the downside as well. And one of those uh, is energy, another is financials. But we'll look at the energy sector as well because my point to you is that this is still deeply, deeply in bear market territory. And we've seen uh, energy down 31% still, banks down 28%. So you can see two of the key drivers. If you really thought there was a sustainable cyclical, old-school recovery going on. You wouldn't be uh, still down in bear market territory on energy, would you? You wouldn't still be in bear market territory on your financials. Would you? I don't know. I, mean, I think I'll just leave those questions open and we can ask them to our experts throughout the show uh, and throughout in, in ensuing shows as well. So as you can see, yes, we're back at record levels on the S&P. Yes, technology, consumer discretionary, uh, and particularly that concentration amongst the fangs has driven us to new highs as well. But there are a lot of casualties out there still and a large amount of concerns. Just have a look at Walmart numbers yesterday. There, yeah, The whole story in one set of numbers. Yes, bullions uh, and big recovery in areas like dot-com and huge amount of sales, but concerns about the broader U.S. economy. Well, speaking to CNBC, the Century Digital CEO, Michael Novogratz, was optimistic about the durability of this rally.
1: Normal trading environment, having climbed 54%, 54% out of the dungeon, uh, I'd be taking profits and waiting for a correction. Uh, but in this environment, with the power of liquidity, we might go right through like the Nasdaq did, And then all of a sudden, who knows where the Right? It's really hard to pick eyes once markets make new highs. And so you kind of go, as my, my pal once said, stay on the airplane, but have the seat closest to the exit.
0: Asian markets, I mentioned to you it's going to be a funny old session in Hong Kong, in shortened session because, and thankfully, the the, the, the typhoon, I think it's Higos, excuse me in my pronunciation, you can see it's unchanged there. They will be back in trading. Um, in 24 minutes' time, I'm told, reliably, by Katie, the producer, today. So there you go. That'll be the afternoon session. Uh, U.S. futures, you want to know about the sustainability in the very short term. There you go. Uh, The rally continues, uh, according to those futures. Implied open for the S&P, eight points to the good. Dow, which, of course, hasn't hit its uh, record levels again, uh, seen up 43 points. But let's get another view on this. David Newhouser is the Managing Director of Livermore Partners and joins us now. Really nice to see you today, David. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Well, look, I mean, very easy, open, early show question for you as well. What do you think about what we've seen? In the US market's performance
1: this year? Oh, I think it's been nothing but outstanding. Uh, When you consider where we started the year, Steve, to where we went in March, to where we are today, I think it's just been a Herculean effort by the market uh, to actually kind of push away all the uncertainty in the past uh, few months that we've seen and start to look forward. And I think the real question that we're seeing is, you know, how. How much forward are we actually looking and how much forward are we actually building into the markets uh, today?
0: And yet, David, at the point I was trying to make at the war, and, and I'm sure you share these views, it is very uneven. Of course, you have some sectors which have been left behind and may be left behind for a very long time to come. Sectors that potentially, if we thought we were going to have uh, economic growth and that the economy was going to power ahead as well as the market, would have come with it as well. So what about the unevenness of this market? Does that lead to dangers for our viewers?
1: Oh, for sure. So I think the way you look at it is we went from a risk on trade, which we had at the beginning of the year with extremely low unemployment, uh, pretty uh, decent nominal growth. And uh, we went into, obviously, uh, COVID, uh, which took us to a complete risk off scenario in March. Uh, You saw many other hedge funds as well liquidating and trying to raise cash, not knowing where the world was headed. And then, you know, within a few months' time, uh, once we saw the, the Fed liquidity pour into the system, once we saw governments attempt to get ahead of things and stimulate the global economy, I think that, along with uh, the fact that things are recovering from uh, the virus, I mean, things aren't becoming uh, much worse from what we've seen early stages of, of the virus. And when you put all that together, we're back into a risk-on mode. The question really how I look at it though is we're in a risk on mode. We're back up at highs. We're actually up on the year. Like you said, for most indexes, the Nasdaq's up, you know, uh, well up, over 20%. The question is, where do we really go from here? And is this sustainable at this point?
0: Yeah, and that's a great question. And I'll just throw in another asset class here as well, because despite the fact that the abundance has returned to certain parts of the market as well, it's also returned to some of the risk off trades as well. And we've got gold pottering around $2,000 a troy ounce. Now, if we thought that the world was going to be a safer, uh, economically growing place going forward, we wouldn't necessarily be saying that gold is going to go much higher from here. But you think it could well do, don't you?
1: yes so you know livermore uh, we've been bullish gold for for two years and as you know steve i mean we're focused on very specific value oriented uh, companies and you know so we've been invested in energy companies financials and obviously uh uh, material companies too so we looked at gold two years ago in fact uh when it was hovering around 1100 and again not looking at from the metal itself but just looking at from the standpoint of so many of those companies the miners were so blown down You had things like Barrick Gold trading at $11 a share and a number of the smaller junior players, which, you know, Livermore is more focused on, including there in London, which were just left for dead. So, you know, you fast forward today, you have gold prices now uh, almost over uh, $2,000 an ounce, uh, potentially on its way much higher. And a number of those stocks have done extremely well. So it's helped us in the past two years. And I think this is just still the early innings. So at at some point in time, you're going to find out who's right and who's wrong. Right now, every single asset class is going up. You have bonds going up. You have stocks going up. You have technology going up. Like you said, certain levels of the economy are not still doing well, and those stocks are suffering. Gold and miners and metals are doing very well. And I think at some point, we're going to find out who the the true winners are and who the true losers are.
0: Yeah, before I get into my next question, where, where do you think gold's going to, David?
1: So, you know, we look at it from an inflation standpoint, and I would say inflation adjusted gold still isn't to where I believe it could it can actually head. Uh, so, again, we're not trying to attempt to uh, figure out where gold is headed as a as a um, uh, currency today. Viewing it as a currency is the fact that, that looking at from a dollar standpoint. So our view Livermore is the U.S. dollars on a dramatic downtrend. And a lot of that's due to all the things you saw in terms of monetary policy and fiscal policy. And I think at that point, you're seeing an uplift uh, other assets, including gold. So our viewpoint is gold could reach uh, 3000 within the next uh, you know, 12 to 24 months. But again, our focus is on the miners and on specific value plays. So, you know, that's how we're, we're playing the, the play. Fabulous.
0: David, where else are you um, looking to uh, pick up some, some real value stocks? As well? I mean, you mentioned, I think also you're investing in energy and financials. They were two sectors, which I noted at the wall, are still significantly in bear market territory. When you look at the sub indices of the S&P as well, uh, specifically within those sectors, what do you like?
1: Yeah, so again, back on specifics, so our hedge fund has been a big investor in a company called Jadestone Energy, which is listed in London. So within energy, you can't just look at energy and expect it to recover. You know, Prices are recovering from where they were in March, but I don't view uh, the sector as something that's going to all of a sudden magically enter a new bull phase. I view it as there's probably 10 companies that are going to do extremely well, and those are the companies with the best balance sheets, and have, uh, you know, free cash flow and have the ability to pick off other assets from larger companies that are going to look to uh, be selling during this downturn. And, you know, Jade Stone's a company I've been a part of now for four years, uh, our hedge funds on the board. And that's one company we've that's done extremely well uh, in the last number of years. And I expect even today, they'll be in a better position moving forward. On the financial side, we haven't done much. We've actually at times have been short some select financials like Goldman Sachs. I think there are some smaller cap banks that look attractive uh, soon, but I view those as attraction for potential merger and M&A. So as you know, our hedge fund has been more of an activist bent. And my viewpoint is over the next few years, you're going to see a lot more uh, synergies and opportunities to, to push companies together. And take advantage of some specific situations that come about, and and that's kind of how we're looking at playing it going yeah, forward. Yeah,
0: I hear you. We're, we're clamoring for more M&A in European banks so they can shore up their uh, their competitive position, David, as, as you know better than anyone as well. Just on the energy side of things, I mean, everybody spends a lot of time looking at the demand side of the equations. Well, when's demand picking up? Is it picking up enough? But when I look at a lot of investors these days, and you mentioned that you're activist, but I see a lot of activism on the ESG front, which we're going to be speaking about in the next hour as well on this show as well. And people are just turning their back, as we saw from BHP yesterday, on certain commodities because they just don't fit in with shareholder demands in the 21st century. Do you think actually the lack of financing for the energy sector could act as a catalyst uh, for a bull market in some of these commodities? For sure. And, and
1: look, that's how uh, some of these gold miners uh, took about, is that they were, it was such a contrarian play two years ago, again, when we took stakes in things like Torex and Detour Gold And Highland Gold there in London, same thing with energy. You need to be though very, very specific. And the key is when I mentioned Jade Stone, or or there's a handful like set of other companies out there. It's the fact that there's so much capex uh, spent that's been pulled from the market, and it's not necessarily the demand push that we're going to see over the next few years. Like I said, it's it's the fact that supply is coming offline and it's not coming back, and you're seeing less banking. Uh, in terms of uh, financing a lot of these companies. And ultimately, you're going to look for companies that are going to look to do deals. And either they're going to be looking to do the deals out of bankruptcy or you're going to be looking at doing deals from ones that are the best companies, the best position today. And again, there's only a few out there. So you have to be extremely specific. And that's why, again, being a stock picker is very important. And again, I think those are the plays, like Jade Stone, and, and a few others are Vista Oil and Gas, which is an Argentina play. Those are the situations, I think, that look extremely exciting uh, on a re-rate to, of, of crude oil uh, higher. And, and a lot of that will be due to also inflation, which I think has a, has a true possibility of starting to really unfold.
0: Again, I was going to ask you about politics, but I'll do that in a second. Um, crude oil then going higher, yeah?
1: We think it's over the next two years, you're going to start to see it normalize. Uh, we favor Brent. Uh, that's where our jade stones tied to in our Vista. So we favor Brent and Brent's in the mid 40s today. I expect it'll normalize somewhere in the mid 50s or even 60s when all said and done. Uh, so the ones that can produce and sell today and, and attract that price and have very lean balance sheets, those are the companies you want to own. Those are the stocks that are going to do very well. And we're going to continue to look for opportunities like that.
0: And David, finally, the political question. Uh, come November, I don't know if we're going to have a Democrat or Republican president. Uh, what are the ramifications from the markets of that decision for U.S. voters?
1: Yeah, so it's it's very interesting that you said it. So, you know, normally you come into an election year and the markets are up. Uh, in this particular year, I think it's important to look at how you know, bifurcated the world is today and their viewpoints on whether, you know, a Democrat president gets in or President Trump stays in office. You know, my viewpoint today is uh, I think I'm looking at it more from uh, more of a global picture, big picture. And I think the world is really in more of a, uh, a, a truly suspended sort of animation at this point where you're seeing so many things that are occurring at this point in time, which are just surreal. You know, you're seeing a stock market trading at a record high. You're seeing unemployment at 30 million here in the US and over 10%. You're seeing economic decay. Uh, You're seeing political instability as far as uh, where we see the next leader is going to lead many countries. So you have so many different things going on. And I think that's going to really be uh, challenging for an investment. Uh, in a number of different situations. It doesn't matter if you're in currencies, doesn't matter if you're in stocks or bonds. But I think going forward, it's going to make the road really challenging. And uh, we'll see how it plays out as we go through November.
0: David, absolute pleasure speaking to you early on the show today. Thank you very much. And I've got to say that piece of art over your right shoulder is absolutely gorgeous as well. I have to say, it must have cost a pretty penny because you can't afford any other furniture, it looks like.
1: Well, I'm in. I'm in Chicago, as you know. So um, uh, this is the upstairs uh, part of my home, and uh, it's late here, so everyone's asleep. It looks lovely. Lovely
0: piece of art, anyway. And thank you very much indeed for your wise words on the markets. Well, real pleasure speaking to you today, sir. Uh, Enjoy the rest of your evening. Thank you very much, Uh, David Newhouse, there, Managing Director at Livermore Partners. So, Senate Republicans have begun circulating a first draft of the pared-down stimulus bill amid the ongoing impasse in Washington over a second round of measures. The draft, which was seen by the New York Times, reportedly contains many of the same social and business provisions included in the party's initial $1 trillion package, which was far below the Democrats' opening bid of nearly $3.5 trillion. Meanwhile, the Democratic House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has indicated that her party would be willing to meet their counterparts halfway to secure a package. Is that halfway from three or halfway from three and a half? What was that? Somewhere two-handle, isn't it? Are we talking roughly two trillion? I think so. Anyway, Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin on the other side of the coin has criticized the Democrats for the stimulus gridlock, but he told CNBC that the measures from President Trump's executive order are beginning to take effect.
1: We now have many states that are uh, moving through that process. We have, uh, looks like, five states that have already been approved. We have another four states that have submitted and uh, about another 10 states that are in the process. So the good news is, despite Congress not acting because Pelosi and Schumer aren't willing to sit down and strike a reasonable deal, the president moved forward with the EO to help people who are still unemployed.
0: Isn't it funny how, and we can all take a step back, how you look at a story and you think, I've never talked about this in my life. I mean, I've been in this business 20 years. I've never talked about the US Postal Service before. But now it's it's the hottest topic in the US, isn't it, in some ways? So the US Postmaster General, who is uh, Louis DeJoy, has delayed planned cutbacks at the Postal Service until after the November election. This after the USPS became, uh, the funding for it, became a key issue in stimulus talks, with Democrats claiming that the changes could make it difficult for many citizens to vote by mail. In a statement, DeJoy said he hoped the move would help avoid quote, even the appearance of any impact on the election. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi backed the decision, calling it necessary but insufficient. She also hit out at the White House claims that postal voting could tamper with the integrity of the election. There is
1: no evidence of such widespread fraud. And when they asked his chief of staff, you don't have any evidence of 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 fraud in the the, uh, vote by mail and he said well you don't have any evidence that there isn't fraud (laughs) oh really i mean this is how they insult the intelligence of the american people and that's why they know they can't win the election on the level so they have to lie cheat and steal and that's what this is
0: Coming up on the show, Democrats uh, formally nominate Joe Biden as a candidate for the November elections. Uh, Party leaders from both past and present use the second day of the National Convention to hit out at the president, Mr. Trump. And for more on, I can tell you, it's even better than yesterday's. um, Great podcast. It's just me, though. Uh, S&P's record rebound. It's a good chart in there anyway. Uh, And David Livermore. Uh, David from Livermore, I should say. Uh, Check out the Squawk Box podcast available on all the major podcast providers and on CNBC.com. It's a real winner. Democrats have formally nominated Joe Biden in November's presidential election. Supporters are rallied behind the former vice president in a virtual roll call vote of delegates uh, during the second night of the party's national convention. Mr Biden promised to be a steady hand to lead the country out of the pandemic. Uh, he did appear from a school in his home state of Delaware to briefly acknowledge the nomination uh, ahead of his planned remarks later this week. Well, thank
1: you very, very much. From the bottom of my heart, thank you all. It means the world
0: to me and my family. And I'll see you on Thursday. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer also threw his weight behind Biden using his convention address to hit out at President Trump's handling of the virus outbreak. Millions are jobless. 170,000 Americans have died from COVID. And Donald Trump says... It is what it is. president should never say it is what it is. President Lincoln, honoring the great sacrifice at Gettysburg, didn't say it is what it is. President Roosevelt, seeing a third of the nation ill-housed, ill-clad, and ill-nourished, didn't say it is what it is. America, Donald Trump has quit on you. But Democratic support for Mr. Biden was not unanimous as Representative Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, a leader amongst the party's progressives, backed Senator Bernie Sanders for the presidency.
1: In a time when millions of people in the United States are looking for deep, systemic solutions to our crises of mass evictions, unemployment, and lack of health care, in el espíritu del pueblo and out of a love for all people, I hereby second the nomination of Senator Bernard Sanders of Vermont for president of the United States of America.
0: Today's speakers at the DNC feature some of the leading voices in the party, including House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, the former president, Barack Obama, and Biden's running mate, Kamala Harris. Uh, Biden is expected to deliver remarks on Thursday. Meanwhile, President Trump attacked Biden as a radical leader who is, quote, beyond socialism beyond socialism. Right, okay. Uh, Speaking to supporters in Arizona, Trump also responded to recent criticism made during the Democratic National Convention. Their ratings were very bad. They just announced their ratings. I thought it was not the best television I've ever watched. It was brutal, actually. Uh, No, their ratings were very bad. I think we're going to do great. Uh, Thursday night, I'm doing it live. Unlike Michelle Obama, I'm doing it live. And... It'll be Thursday night. It'll be at the White House on the South Lawn. And hopefully you'll enjoy it. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on this show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.